Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kombucha and Kala. We're so happy that you have joined us today. I'm Shay, and as always, I have Anna with me today. How are you doing, Anna? Yeah, I'm having a good day today, which I'm very happy to report. So thank you for asking. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Not all days are good days. <laughs> yeah, we, this, is, well, this is kind of where we want to go with this episode today is just being a little bit more in flow with life. And what we want to preframe this episode with is the idea of control and the things that we can control in life and then also the things that are beyond our control and learning to define or learning to start to negotiate the difference between those two things. And so I'll share like where this came from for me is that over this last little while, I've been doing quite a lot of reading and research and information gathering on labor and birth and just like the physiology of of all of it. And to me, it's been absolutely, it's been so fascinating. I'm fascinated by the female body and it is just such a miracle. And every single book that I read, I I actually get this feeling of sadness as I finish it. I'm like, oh no, but what am am I going to read now? Because it's just been so interesting and informing and empowering to me to read these books. And I was sharing this with my mom the other day and I was like, oh, this and this, and this happens in labor and this is what's a good idea and this is the physiology behind this. And she was just saying, you know, well, Shay, at some point you, have, you, can't, you can't like kind of control it all and it's, it's going to have to be like you have to let go at some point and you're doing too much reading and it's too much information and slow down on all this like reading that you're doing. And it made me think because, yes, I 100% agree that especially for birth, like there's, there's going to be things in the birth that I have zero control over. And that is hard fact. Like I cannot control the timing of it. I cannot control the outcomes of it, but there is a lot of things within that external environment that I can control from within. And I think this is where the piece on information, informing yourself, empowering yourself and regulating yourself from within that makes such a huge difference to not only a birth and labor, but through anything that we're working through. And I was teaching this concept in a yoga class over this week, not in relationship to birth, but in relationship to quarantine and COVID. And we've been put into this situation where externally there is so much that we cannot control. Like there's been limitations that have been placed on us. There's been all these different restrictions and things that we have to do and our lives have changed from the outside and we have no control over it. And at that, we have to surrender to all of that. But there's a lot of stuff that we can do from within that we can take ownership of, that we can empower ourselves with, that we can control from a mental, emotional, physiological standpoint when we have the tools to be able to do it. So that's kind of where I wanted to start this episode Anna, do you have anything that you want to kind of intro with? Yeah, I mean, I think Shay has expressed her 
um, viewpoint today in terms of how she's looking at this idea of control through the lens of pregnancy. Um, and I guess what I'll be offering to the episode today is talking a little bit about it in terms of health, specifically looking at my own health challenges and how that there are certain things that I can control within that, like, for example, how I'm looking after my body and the self-care that I'm taking. And then those are things that I'm doing long-term, they're long-term dietary recommendations, supplements that I'm taking, you know, managing my workload, managing my exercise, but day to day stuff still happens. That's hard. You know, I might experience a flare or I might feel like I'm, I'm deteriorating and going backwards. And in the moment when you feel that way, maybe it's, you feel very tired or you feel in pain or um, very low. And, and the only thing you can really control is your thoughts and your feelings, because no matter how well I eat that day, or no matter how, you know, if I take all my supplements perfectly and I just rest, 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 it doesn't alleviate the symptoms as quickly. So there needs to be some kind of internal coping mechanisms um, to fall back on in those moments when there is nothing to do but surrender to the situation as it is. Being a nutritionist in, my, in terms of my background and working with a lot of clients in weight loss, this concept of control comes up often in dialogue. And very often my clients will say things like, you know, when I'm doing everything, I feel in control. And when I'm not eating right, or I go away for a weekend, or um, I'm doing things differently, it feels out of control. And it, it's very interesting. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to go into this a little bit deeper, but like how food can be such a, a mirror or our relationship with food can be such a mirror for what's happening in our internal world. And what I've always said to my clients is like, the food is just the symptom. We have to go into what's happening inside of you. And when that feels better and that feels more safe and balanced, the food stuff is the easy bit. So I'm sure we can share a little bit more on that as we go through. Mm. And that's so interesting because that then is directly speaking to this idea of the, at some point there's a nuance between the things that we can control and the things that we are trying to control because we haven't been able to self-regulate with the tools that we need to be able to manage our own emotional states, to be able to manage ourselves in relationship to the world around us. Because I would say, I would guess that the reason that we want to control the world around us is because we want to make it feel like everything is just in order. Because if things are not in order, we're going to feel unsafe. We're going to feel insecure. We're going to feel flustered, irritated, angry, unsteady, ungrounded. But when we can have those practices from within that create that state of being internally, then actually what goes on in the external world, what happens in your relationship, what happens with your partners, what happens in COVID, what happens in pregnancy, what happens in labor, all these different external things. Yes, they might create some kind of ripple or fluctuation into your world, but actually you've cultivated the sense of stability within yourself that you don't need to have the hard, fast control on the external world, which is actually impossible. Mm. And I love that you said the word ripple because it reminded me of an analogy that I use with my clients. And, and this is actually an analogy that I've heard now as we've been going through COVID is we're all in the same storm, but we're just in different boats. And the analogy that I use with my clients is that, you know, you can't control the ocean, you can't control the weather, but you can bolster your boat to make it strong and sturdy and stable and that's what it means to do the inner work is to 
create that very, very strong, stable bolt. And, and, you know, when the weather is calm, you repair the sails and you put an extra lick of paint on or whatever you do so that when those waves come in life, because they will always come, that, that you're ready for them. And I think that's that kind of putting the, fixing the sail and doing the extra coats of paint or whatever it is, that's the internal work. Those are the internal practices that we can use. And there's many of them to make us more resilient to weather the storm. I absolutely love that analogy. I'm going to do a little cartoon for it. Oh, please, please credit me. <laughs> of course I will. Of course I will. You know how I feel about credit. <laughs> um, but it also reminds me, and I, and I read Byron Katie's work quite a long time ago, but one of her main concepts in her book is she's got these three different parts. And you've got your stuff, somebody else's stuff, and God's stuff. And the only thing that you have power or change or authority over is your stuff. And so when you're in a situation that is bringing you a sense of frustration or annoyance or you're feeling kind of all over the place and flustered or whatever you're experiencing, some kind of stress or anxiety, often it's because you are trying to control something that's outside of your specific bucket. And something that is somebody else's stuff or something that is God's stuff, like, and by God's stuff, she's not putting it into a religious context. It's just, she can, you can replace that with natural law or nature or just life in general. The universe. And that's like, yeah, the universe. Like that's like COVID. Like that's something that's like, what she would classify as God's stuff or nature stuff. Like we have no control over COVID. Like, but in our internal stuff, yes, we can take action. We can do things from our internal state that can help manage or mitigate those ripples or those waves that are coming at us. You know, whatever it is that it looks like to you, staying quarantine, wearing a mask, sanitizing, all those, whatever those things look like for you. But at what point do you recognize what is yours and what is somebody else's? And I think that is such a useful tool for people to start inquiring about. And actually in the yoga classes that I've taught this week, we've done this, this whole thing on control and I was actually referring it to the weather because it's been so hot in London lately. And I was just saying to people like, you know, there's this hot weather and it's getting a lot of us like flustered and feeling hot and just overwhelmed, but we can't change that. And we can't change the weather. Nobody can. But what we can do is we can self-regulate from within to a certain degree. And in a very literal sense, we've got very cooling pranayama practices or breathwork practices that can literally cool the body from the inside. But that's also, there's another layer to that. And that is what can we, or how can we regulate when things are feeling out of control that we can take some ownership within ourselves in terms of finding a, a steadier state to glide our boat down the river. So anytime that I feel that you are feeling a little bit of anxiousness or anxiety or stress or discord or discontent in your life what is that situation and what are you trying to control within that situation so if there's something right now that you're feeling oh what is it in that situation that you're trying to control and then is that your stuff or is that somebody else's stuff or is that god's stuff nature's stuff and i think once you can start to make that clear separation between what's mine and yours. And if you listen perhaps back to the boundaries episode where we shared on that like separation between what's my stuff and somebody else's, like it starts to make very clear what is yours and what is somebody else's. And then from there, you can actually be like, whoa, actually what a sense of relief to put this down because 
I actually can't change any of this. And like, that's really, it's like a long breath out. It's like, oh, what a relief. Yeah. And I think as you've been, you know, describing this, a lot of like the, the, the language you've mentioned is like anxiety, overwhelm, discord, the feeling of tension. And I think that's where our, our emotions come in as messages. You know, people often have this idea that we've got bad, like bad or negative emotions and good or positive emotions, but all emotions are just energy in the body, energy in motion. And I like to talk about them as, um, you know, they bring the messages of reward or they bring the messages of warning. And that warning that we get when, when we, first of all, the emotion bubbles up inside of us, and then it's a messenger that's saying, you know, warning, warning, there's something you maybe want to be looking at here. And it's, it's an opportunity for you to actually realize that there's an inquiry that you could do. So very often we'll maybe, you know, the weather's hot and then we're feeling just frustrated and grumpy. And that's an opportunity to either allow yourself to be frustrated and grumpy if that's what you need to do or to go, Hey, you know, what, what can I really look at here? Or or what is this telling me to do in terms of my inquiry? And then that inquiry could be, as you've just said, hang on, am I making someone else's stuff my stuff? And do I need to put something down? Do I need to look something, let something go? And I just like to add to that, that there's a little tool that I give my clients, which is also really helpful because very often it's the meaning that we assign to things that drives the underlying emotion. So as an example, I had a client of mine um, who his friend had asked her to do something. She, she had exercised her right to put some boundaries in place and, and because she wanted some time for herself and said no. And then when her friend had asked her what she'd been doing and she didn't actually have an answer, she felt really bad about it. And then she had to jump in and and please that other person and make the situation right again. So the questions that I asked her to reflect on was what happened? You just said you couldn't, you know, do the thing. And what did you make it mean? Well, she made it mean that she was a bad person. She made it mean that she wasn't a good enough friend and good enough is a key word there. And then you can explore what else could it mean? Well, it could mean that, you know, you were just taking some time for yourself and that was a really important thing for you to do for your energy so that you could be a better friend long-term so that you could be more energetically available. So those three questions just help you to explore, oh, actually, I've made a story up about the situation and what it meant. And if I can change the story and that's within my control to change the story, then I can change the meaning. And if I change the meaning, it changes the emotion. So that's just another little tool that people can use for their inquiry, which is what happened. And there you want to look at data versus drama. What are the facts of the situation without going into the, he said, she said this, that, and the other. What did I make it mean? And then what else could it mean? And I always think it's helpful to kind of don't just find one other meaning because then you may find yourself in a similar situation where all your eggs are in one basket, but then just think, well, it could mean this and it could mean that. And then by keeping your energy open and curious and exploring and playful, it really helps to let go of some of those energetic attachments towards the meaning, which is driving the underlying emotion. 
Mm. And I love that idea that you're using it on a story because that's something that comes up in Brené Brown's work as well. And she's got this amazing thing that when you are having some kind of relationship disagreement or there's some kind of misunderstanding somewhere along the line, and what happens is that usually we go back with an attack to the person. You did this and this is what happened or da 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 And the real thing is that you have disconnected from what you are feeling in that situation. So again, that emotion is your key understanding to where you're at. And her offering is that when you feel that there's some kind of misunderstanding is to approach the person that you are having the misunderstanding with and saying the story that I'm making up. So in that example of your client, like for them to go up to that person and say, the story that I'm making up is that I don't feel like I'm a good enough friend because I didn't have another activity that was replacing our time together. It was just taking time for myself. And that makes me feel like I'm not a good enough friend. And by taking that ownership that actually I've created the story, when you address it to the person in question, it completely neutralizes the situation. It's not saying, you think I'm a bad enough, you don't think I'm a good enough friend because I've taken this time for myself. That's very charged. Whereas this is the story that I'm making up is this and this and this. And the other person most often can recognize that and go, yes, that is the story that you're making up. I don't feel that that way at all. Mm-hmm. And so I think, again, it's, it's coming back to this idea of what's your stuff and what's somebody else's stuff and what is, this, what is the stuff that you've created for somebody else in your head. Yeah, exactly. Something that I also wanted to touch on, because we've been talking about emotions, and um, I particularly wanted to talk about the emotion of anxiety, because I think that anxiety can be a mask for control. Or sorry, let me say that the other way around. Control can be a mask for anxiety. So, you know, often when we are experiencing some sort of fear or some sort of lack that can give a rise to feelings of anxiety, whether that is lack of time, we just don't have enough time to do the things that we need to do, what we want to do each day. We don't have enough energy. This resonates so strongly with me because sometimes I'll look at my calendar and I'll see I've got this appointment, this appointment, this appointment, and maybe this thing I need to do for a client and these things I want to do for myself. And I'm like, and because my energy day to day can sometimes feel a bit uncertain that I can feel, start to feel anxious. Like, will I have enough to, to complete this day? So that's maybe where a a lack of energy can create anxiety or just lack of enoughness. So maybe, you know, I've got this appointment, this appointment, this appointment, and I'm like, am I going to be able to do a good enough job with this client? Am I going to be able to help them to the level that I would like to help them? And I think that's where people often use the term imposter syndrome, where they, you maybe get a, get promoted or they get a new job and everybody thinks they're amazing, but they don't feel that inside themselves. And that can also be, a, you know, when people use the term imposter syndrome, that can also be due to feelings or fear of lack of enoughness. But I think all of this comes back down to enoughness and worthiness and self-love because when we think about lack of time, it's often, well, if I'm not going to have enough time, then I'm not going to be due to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And that's going to mean, and then you create your story that I'm not good enough, that I'm a failure, that things aren't perfect. 
Same with lack of energy. If I don't have enough energy to complete these things, what is that going to mean? Probably I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. So really, I feel that all of this comes back down to this idea of fear versus love or this idea of wholeness, of trust, of enoughness. And when we don't feel that in our lives, that's where anxiety shows up. But remember that anxiety is not showing up just to make life more difficult for you. Anxiety is showing up so it can help you see where in your life you need to work on a little bit more self-love or where in your life you need to work on a little bit of enoughness. But what people do if they don't have that awareness or what sometimes happens if people don't have that awareness is they, they want to control so I use this example at the very beginning of working with clients who want to lose weight and how they feel good enough or enoughness when they are in control of their food, when everything is working out really well, they feel in control. But you know, my observation from working with so many clients who are overweight is that a lot of people eat because they don't feel enough or they don't have self-love. So there's this mask, which is let me rigidly control my eating to make up for how I feel about my weight and what I'm making my weight mean about my worthiness, my enoughness. So if you had asked me um, five years ago. I think think that goes opposite as well. Like people who don't eat enough, it's exactly the same. Oh, yes, totally. So your your relationship with food, if it is disordered, not that you have an eating disorder, but if it's disordered eating, it's always a mirror for your relationship with yourself. Yeah, so it can swing both ways. And I've definitely seen with clients, because I take a full health history when I work with my clients and some of them who have had eating disorders, either present or past, it's often been initiated when something big happened and it's come about as as a means of control. Speaking for myself personally, if you had asked me five years ago if I had anxiety, I would have said, no, no, I never feel anxious about anything. And yet I had a lot of very controlling behaviors in terms of, you know, very controlling. I know, Shay, you often admire me for my discipline, but I think my discipline is more a reflection of my ability to try and control. And, uh, you know, I would be very, you could say disciplined or you could say controlling in terms of the way that I exercised. You could say disciplined or controlling about the way that I ate. You could say disciplined or controlling about the way that I worked. And what I know now is I can see how all of those behaviors were masking actually some low level anxiety relating to my own enoughness and relating to my own self-love. And I'm sure, you know, we will both hold our hands up and say that that we're never perfect and this is always a journey. And so as I've been on this journey, I now find work so much less stressful because I don't have all those that that pressure and I'm not making up all the stories about what this means and what that means in work. And um, I am still actually very disciplined with my food for health reasons, but I feel that it's not a very controlling relationship. And with exercise, that that was a huge thing for me because I had to let go of control. I had to let go of the fact that I, you know, what I'd love to do was lift weights. And I used to have a little notebook and I used to write everything down and I used to have my structure, which I loved. And I had to just give all of that up. And that was really scary for me because it was giving up control. 
But in letting go of those things that I had like a tight fist around, what it did was create more openness for love to come in and for trust to come in. And it's by no means perfect, you know, day to day. I think these swings fluctuate, these things swing and fluctuate, but it's been such a powerful lesson to learn, but also very, very scary to initiate. And I love that you mentioned about when what happens when you release and what can be found on the other side of letting go of that stronghold, the control that we think that we have over some things when actually it's it's a mask or something else. I wanted to go back and and touch on something about the anxiety and the control and the sense of self-worth and value. It was actually interesting. I was reading this on the train this morning. Um, it was from a childhood development book. And they're just talking about the development of a child. As the child is growing and learning from the environment, they are making value calls about everything in the external world. And before they are able to interact with the external world, their place of safety is the mother. So that is their first matrix, which is the matrix is the Latin word for womb. So their first sense of safety and their first sense of checking and reassurance is with the mother. And then they go out into the world and they'll start making value judgments. And often that is through their senses. So they'll be sitting and they'll not be in a pile of mud. And this is the example they give in the magical child book, but they'll be taking a piece of mud and trying it in their mouth. Does this taste like food? Is this yes or no? And they'll create a value on what that taste is and whether it's edible or not edible. So they might put it in their mouth and then release it. And a parent who is able to just observe and let the child make that value judgment for themselves, that child then learns that my value is, is worthy here. I have a sense of power and autonomy. Even though this child is, is two years old or one year old or whatever, and that child then learns to have that sense of value, worth, inherent within themselves. On the other hand, if you've got parents who are perhaps got that underlying anxiousness, the mask of which being control, and if you think about, I don't know, a parent who is everything on their child is just pristine, they want the mother-in-law to think that they're perfect, they want everything to be perfect, everything's crisp and white, and they don't let the child get dirty and whatever, when the child toddles outside and sits down in the mud as children want to do because their intent is to interact with the environment and suddenly this child is picking up dirt and immediately a mother who wants to control and make sure everything's just perfect and imagine if parents or friends or anyone came around and sees this child you know basking in the mud with a smear of mud across its face that would be the disaster suddenly this parent is kind of going in and picking up the child, cleaning its mouth. No, 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 dirty, 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 get it out. And suddenly this child who up until that point had no real anxiety or relevance to that situation at all, other than he's just trying to, he or she's just trying to make a value call on the situation. Suddenly that sense of value within themselves is being taken away because all they feel and sense is anxiety from the mother. And so they then learn to disengage from their own value calls and then therefore their value within themselves. And that can then lead to these feelings of not feeling worthy enough and always having to turn to the mother, the parent, to check for reassurance, to check for this, to check for that, which is a feedback system for the parent because that gives the parent a sense of control again because the the child is, is then reassuring to the parent. So it's a very interesting thing about where maybe these things start in our childhood that is so subconscious that we're not even probably aware of it, but just, wow, interesting to think about that as a possibility or a potential. 
Yeah, and I'm just like extrapolating that into adulthood. And one of the things that you said was the baby makes that value call with its senses, which means that the baby is connected to its body, it's connected to its feelings, its emotions, and then it's it's using its whole body to to make a call. Is mud as good as chocolate pie? One of the biggest sort of problems or challenges of living in this modern day world is that we are often disembodied, we're often disconnected from our bodies, from our intuition, which comes through the emotional body. And this is definitely what I've observed in adult clients is that they don't trust themselves because they don't have that internal feedback system, which has come, which comes through being connected to your body. And, and that actually, as you've said, like it, it means that then there's more need to control because, you know, if there's a book that tells us exactly what to do, you can put your trust in that. Or if there's a, someone like me who tells you exactly what to eat, you can put your trust in that. And then life just becomes a whole bunch of rules which are dictated externally. But sometimes, and I've had this experience as well, I've been doing things and then listen, getting diff, completely different signals from my body and going, you know, hang on a minute, like, you know, I, I need to be a little bit more self-directed. I need to be able to listen to myself. But if you don't trust yourself because that hasn't been something that's been ingrained in you, there's a certain amount of work that needs to happen, even if it's just taking like very, very small steps to build up your confidence so that you can begin to exercise more trust and then release control. And actually, when you were speaking about emotion earlier, it made me think like on my second yoga teacher training, one of the things that came through again and again was the lecturer who was the philosophy lecturer and meditation lecturer. And she just said she believes that every single day we should be sitting for five, 10 minutes feeling what we're feeling, not meditation, not pranayama, just feeling what you're feeling. And that, that never really made sense to me until I really understood it from a body level and being like, Oh, I get what she's saying. Like there's a difference between sitting and meditating and kind of watching your thoughts go by and actually sitting with, this is actually what I'm feeling today from the body. My chest feels tight. My heart feels closed. My body feels tense. And what is this, what is this telling me about my inner state right now? And sometimes you need to take that emotion and process it physically through your body. And I would say in 99% of the time, it needs to work out physically in some way. But then once you, you can't do that work until you recognize where you are with it or what the emotion is in the, in the first place. So I think just, and that comes with slowing down. Like we, we live such fast, busy lives that we are rushing from, from A to B to C to D to D, F, whatever, to get back into bed. And then we try and switch off. And we don't know if it's the fast pace that's creating the sense of flurry or if it's actually our inner state that is in a constant state of flurry. And I think meditation is a good start to be able to get into more of these other kinds of practices, which take you a little bit deeper into all of it. Yeah. And I, I would say as well as that, like with the, the challenges I've been experiencing with my health, I've had absolutely no choice but to slow down. And I probably spend hours each day just lying with my hands on my heart, feeling what I'm feeling. And as, as much as it's not always fun to do, I think it's been, it's been a really good lesson in just like connecting to myself and and now when I think back to how I used to operate in my everyday life, like I don't even know how I functioned 
because I just think about I could easily just go back to back calls with clients and in between calls and doing admin, answering emails, and I'm at the gym and I'm cooking dinner, just going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, one thing to the next. And now I just, I know that's definitely not how I want to go. That's not the the new life that I'm going to create for myself as I continue to get better because it just doesn't allow me to be my higher self because my higher self needs to be someone who, who is able to release that energy and, and process her emotions, you know, to show up as the best possible me. And I can relate to that in a quarantine lockdown situation because obviously with going onto Zoom and teaching less and commuting less, there's been much more space in my day that's opened up. And this morning was the first time that I saw a private client. And I usually I see, it before, see her before this podcast, but it's literally, I go to her, I see her for an hour, I come back and five minutes to go and I sit down and record the podcast with Anna. So it's go, go, go. And I haven't been feeling nauseous or sick for a couple of weeks now. Yes, I am pregnant. So that is one possibility, but I haven't been feeling nauseous or sick for a while now. And yes, it's also hot. But this morning I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling a bit icky. And part of me is questioning, like, is that because suddenly it feels like, oh, the pace is picking up again. I've got this back-to-back thing where I had space before. And that space before gave me opportunity to be like, yeah, let's just process what you're feeling right now so that you can come into this, whatever your day, your life, with a more grounded sense of calm, with that's more foundational to who you want to be. So yeah, it was just an interesting inquiry that I had. Yeah, I think it's um, not necessarily for everyone, but I think this COVID time where some people have had that opportunity to slow down, I think it's actually been a great opportunity for people to rethink things. And you know, clearly, you know, you were you were one of them. Yeah. So is there anything else that you want to add onto this idea of control or... No, I'm, I think I've, I've shared everything that I wanted to share today. And I think it's um, maybe just the final thing just to reiterate is I went to America a few years ago to for this um, personal development conference and I met someone there and who was also kind of similarly trained to myself. And I said to her, you know, my clients always say, I want to be in control of food. I want to be in control of food or my diet. And I said, what's the opposite of control? And she said, trust. And, and that is, you know, it is the side. I, I think the trust and love kind of overlap a lot. They, for me, they're both kind of elements of the heart chakra. And, you know, when we are open hearted, we are more likely to just surrender to the flow of life. If you are sort of finding yourself in the state of wanting to control, then, you know, just maybe think about what you could do to open your heart a little bit more and and come back to these feelings of love and trust. Mm. And that's so interesting when you were saying that and you were saying what's the opposite of control. Immediately what came up for me was surrender. Mm. And for me, there's, there's absolutely no way that you can surrender unless you have a sense of trust. So, yeah, I think it's all connected. Yeah, and I remember when I first started my healing adventure and Dr. Lacey Chittle, who's um, the practitioner that I've been working with, she said to me, you know, like one of the things I learned is all about surrender, uh, is that it's all about surrender. And I have really grown to understand her words over the past year. And, you know, I'm a testament to the fact that it's not easy, but totally possible. 
So there you have it, guys. Surrender. Yeah. (laughs) Easier said than done. But I think sometimes when I find my head going a little bit like crazy and it's like thinking about the first, you know, getting into that scarcity mindset, I would say I just kind of give myself a pattern interrupter. I just say to myself, trust and surrender, trust and surrender Mm. and just come back to that little mantra. Mm. Love it. So thank you guys for joining us for another episode. We have loved chatting and sharing with you. If you have enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you send it to a friend or share it with somebody or leave us a review on iTunes as it helps us to get the message out to other women who may find this content useful. Yeah, I was actually reading some of our iTunes reviews yesterday um, and some of the ones that have been done recently. And some people have written some really, really wonderful things. So thank you so much to everybody who's already Mm. left a review. um, And we would love to read a few more. See you guys again soon. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Kombucha and Colour. If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.